Grosso! Sorry. Hello and welcome to Batcast 66, the podcast where we watch every single episode of the 1966 Batman television show, and then we talk about it. My name is Kendall. And I'm Scott. And today we are talking about Batman episode 15, The Joker Goes to School. It originally aired March 2nd, 1966. Written by an old favorite, Lorenzo Semple Jr., and directed by Murray Golden. The Joker, he's back. He's back again. Huh. Were you expecting him to ever return? No, I'm shocked. Um, I will say, uh, I've noticed that Lorenzo Semple Jr., he must be like the head writer or something. It's like almost every other episode or so has been written by him, it seems. Or at least like the ones that are like stand out as like quality. So he wrote the first two episodes, those Riddler episodes. Yeah. He wrote Zelda the Great. Let's see what else he wrote. Oh, he wrote Fine Feathered Finks. Uh, and I think that might be it. Yeah. I mean, so far, I really like those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think the second Riddler story was better, but for our first outing, that was still fine. Yeah. First outing to this whole shindig. Yeah, but I hope I'm not tipping my hand on my thoughts on the quality of these episodes overall. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to give it all away in the beginning. Unlike the Joker, who's all about giving stuff away this episode. Yeah, well... We'll get to it, but... We'll get to it. If you'd like to hear our thoughts on the Joker, go back to his first appearance in, uh, what was that, episode five? No, it was episode three, wasn't it? Well, story three, but episode five. Okay, yeah, because those Penguin was before him, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just remember Joker being like one of the, like the first few ones, they just knocked out all like the big Batman characters from this series, more or less. Yeah, definitely. Which is fine. I'm into it. Yeah. So yeah, he's back. Yeah, I guess uh, we can dive right into that. It is a welcome. I do like the Cesar Romero's take on the Joker. Oh, yeah. He's great. He does great here. Yeah, let's just jump into uh, The Joker Goes to School. Uh, We open on Woodrow Roosevelt High. Yeah, and I wrote in my notes, Woodrow Roosevelt, the composite president. Yeah, maybe he was a president in the... The alternate reality of this. Yeah. Yeah. Some cheerleaders are there practicing their cheers. And like uh, the what the basketball team's practicing too, right? Yeah. There's a yeah, yeah, I guess because it made it needed to take place in like a gymnasium set, so it couldn't be like the football team or you know, that's fine. Basketball happens at school too. Basketball is, I guess, uh, I don't know, I don't know if I have a preferred sport. Yeah, I would imagine you didn't. I prefer baseball, but again, that would be an exterior thing. I like soccer, I guess. I don't know, I don't like to watch any sport. Oh, I like baseball. I like going to a baseball game. I don't like watching it on TV. I think I like going to any game. Yeah, most most sports games are fun live, and most sports are also fun when you get into the postseason because like everyone has to play their best, and then like it's there. It's also a lot quicker because people like once you lose, you're out. 
Well, anyway, these uh, basketball players, they're practicing hard. Uh, our good friend, Dick Grayson, is lifting weights in a corner. Yeah, it's just like, it's just general gym stuff. So there's also like a weightlifting section and stuff. You know, Robin's got to stay in shape. Yeah. I forget who. Is it one of the cheerleaders? Is it the cheerleader, Susie? Yes, she's like the main of the three cheerleaders we see. Yeah, I think she's the one who goes to the milk vending machine. Yeah, she's the one that kind of is the first person to put a dime in and get what comes out. Um, Who trusts a milk vending machine? I don't know. It is a weird time. Vending machines in the school become like a really big part of the plot. And I remember when we were in high school in like the early 2000s, that like vending machines and stuff being going into like schools became like a hot button issue where it's like, you know, you're, you basically have like a captive audience. Like, is it this like ethical thing? But apparently in the sixties, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's also like our vending machines are giving us soda and this vending machine is giving milk, which is. I did notice one of the options on it was like for chocolate. So I assume like hot chocolate. Cause that's. Uh. So interesting. Well, it doesn't give any of that stuff. Yeah. That's that's what's your diamond. Yeah. And a bunch of silver dollars just comes pouring out. Yeah. Uh Scott, have you ever touched a silver dollar? I have. I've not. I don't think I've ever seen one. Well, it helps that my high school job like was a collectible store that also specialized in like coins that's right so i've experienced lots of weird money things but yeah silver dollars are also like meaty like they're like big and heavy like they're a lot bigger than a quarter yeah they're huge yeah i think that's why they got phased out because they're really like cumbersome to carry around and they're worth a dollar bill which is a lot easier to carry around makes sense to me but, you know, a vending machine does stuff with coins, so it kind of makes sense that, like, it would have coin dispensary type stuff. I, I, I also assume this isn't made with, like, realism in mind, but, like, I'm assuming the milk in one of these vending machines would come out in, like, a bottle, and they would probably be about the size of, like, a handful of silver dollars. So it could just make sense that they just fill that slot and they just come rolling out. Makes sense to me. Uh, yeah. Susie alerts everybody in the gymnasium that Hey, look, it's playing time and you get a crap ton of money. Yeah, you put in like a dime, you get like 10 bucks. Which Everyone is comes running over. Fun little bit of trivia. Mm-hmm. One of Susie's fellow cheerleaders is played by Linda Harrison. She would go on to be Nova in the first two Planet of the Apes films. That's pretty cool. That's not even that long after this. I think those are like... 68 69 yeah they're they're right after this i feel like that's really cool actually yeah that marks like i think kind of the only actor that i with the exception of uh burgess meredith that i can like picture in another movie yeah another role um i mean i know Cesar romero from other stuff too um I know it's been more of a thing, like, if we were watching Star Trek alongside of this, it's guest stars I recognize from other things. Ah. 
because like I forget what this character was in Star Trek, but like Lurch is like a monster in it, like pretty early from the Adams Family show at this time. But I'm sure there'll be more 60s actors. I mean, I know that there's going to be more. Um, I know you can probably know Vincent Price from other things. Oh, for sure. When we get there, you know. When we get there. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited. That's one of the more fun things about the show is like every time we finish watching episodes in preparation for the podcast, I'm like, kind of want to just watch the next one. But I do want to keep them fresh for when we record. So I usually, we usually just watch them and then we'll record. I, I, don't, I don't skip ahead. For sure. Cut to police headquarters and Chief O'Hara and Commissioner Gordon are just... Coins, it must be the Joker. Yeah, so... I, I, didn't, I didn't get the leap in logic there. I mean, obviously they're right, but... Yeah, they're completely 100% right. But they're like, yeah, this, this has got the Joker's stamp all across it. Yeah. Maybe if it was like some sort of playing card machine. I don't know. I, it was just bizarre that they jumped to that. I did have an observation about the scene. So we've seen this setup where the, like the, um, like the, like the inciting crime kind of happens. And then the police in Gordon's office are like, Oh, it must be this dastardly fiend, whoever of the episode. Then they're like, well, only one person who can call it, save us is Batman. He's got like an insane amount of books behind him. Would a police commissioner need like those records? Like it reminds me more of like a law firm. <laughs> where like you might need to do research like with past cases and stuff. Like I feel like a police commissioner wouldn't need that because that's not something that's ever in like future Commissioner Gordon stuff. Yeah, we yeah, I don't know. Because they look like encyclopedias and stuff. I'm sure that they are because you can just get that like a bunch of those for set dressing. It's just, it's just straight. It's just one of the things like I've seen the scene so many times. I'm like looking at other details now. Yeah, good catch. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I am curious now. What, what's in the books? Yeah, I wonder if they'll ever like pick one up and like refer to something in them. Gordon makes the call. Mm-hmm. Alfred answers, and uh, we cut to Bruce Wayne, Aunt Harriet, and a Mr. Vandergilt who doesn't appear in the rest of the episode at all. Yeah. They're talking in the uh, living room, I'm sure in a mansion it has a different name, but mm-hmm. the parlor. Yeah, or like the receiving area. Yeah, whatever. It is. Yeah. Mr. Vandergilt wants Bruce to run for president or no, for mayor. Yeah. For mayor. Uh and he's like, Gotham City needs you. If you only he knew. I, that did bring up an interesting idea. I don't, I think I'd be interested in, in one where uh, a story where Bruce Wayne becomes mayor, but is still Batman and kind of tries to influence the system from within and without. Have you ever read um, this Brian K. Vaughn comic, uh, Ex Machina? No, but I'm aware of it. I, I forget if he's the president or mayor of New York City or what, but it's basically that. He's a superhero who's also in politics. But unlike the main character of Ex Machina, Bruce has no interest in politics. His work with the Wayne Foundation would only be 
tainted by yeah getting in like yeah having to deal with like political stuff opening yourself up to it. i get it yeah and he probably does more good with the wayne foundation um on a broad city scale than he would be doing mayor and then obviously like he has more time to be batman but i feel like in this world and i'm curious to see if you agree but the, I don't think he's as proactive as Batman as we see him in like other interpretations. He seems to be more like he got the call and then like gets involved. I don't think he's going out on patrol and stuff. I agree. Um, Which I think is fine. I like this version of Batman a lot. Yeah. And you know what? If he, if the Wayne Foundation, if that operates the way I'm assuming, like, it's just this big nonprofit organization. Yeah, like Bruce uh, Wayne probably needs to get out and like fundraise and stuff more. Yeah, so like I'm kind of okay with that. Like, yeah, I like that too. Yeah, in more modern interpretations, like where Wayne Enterprises or Wayne Tech yeah. is this giant, you know, for-profit organization. Yeah, his ass better be out there patrolling the streets. But I, I like that a lot of the stuff that we get mentioned that the Wayne Foundation does over the series so far is like helps like with like criminal reform, like things that would actually be beneficial to like not make Batman have to be Batman all the time. Yeah, for like, sure. Like, yeah, he's obviously not. I'm sure if he was driving by and saw a bank getting robbed, he would stop it. But he seems to only come in when like the really like insane cases show up. Yes. I know that's not the point of the show, but like, I think it'd be cool to explore that more. Also in this show, while like city officials seem to be slightly less than competent, they don't seem to be corrupt in any sort of way that like, yeah, it's like damaging, you know? Yeah. So how much more good could Bruce really do as mayor? Well, I do know there is eventually an episode where Batman runs for mayor. It's one of the ones that's like burned in my brain from a kid. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I I've seen like memes or something, but uh, I don't recall the episode. I, he's, I remember him and the penguin are running against like the only reason Batman's running for mayor is because the penguins running for mayor. I think I mentioned it in the Batman returns uh, episode we did for Christmas. Yeah. He's also running for mayor in that. But, like, I remember him losing for really corny ways. Like, he's not kissing babies because he doesn't want to spend, give them germs and stuff like that. And, like, I don't know. I think that's really funny. And, like, it's just one of those things I remember really enjoying. Do you remember what season that's in? It's got to be, like, season three. Gotcha. It's, it's, I, I, I feel it's got to be, like, late stage Batman 66. <laughs> late stage Batman. <laughs> I don't think it's a two-parter. I think it's a one-parter, which is just what season three is more like. So, Aunt Harriet, in this scene, she's just kind of, like, really rubbing it in that, like, she's just like, oh, Bruce, they ask you every year, when will they get it through their thick skulls that you're not interested? Yeah. She's just, like, kind of being an asshole, I feel like. I mean, I'm okay with that. (laughs) If if they're bother him every two years like they said like yeah stop but also i i don't know i don't think it's a weird ask no i don't bruce wayne is a political figure 
Yeah, regardless of whether he wants to run or not. Like he doesn't have an office, but he yeah. he is a political figure. I'm sure he's also a like donator to a lot of people in the city. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But also just like Aunt Harriet, they're not asking you. Yeah. So maybe just dial it down a little bit. That would be really funny if he asked if he if Bruce Wayne then had like suggested Aunt Harriet run and then like he fund her and then she becomes just like a puppet. That would be pretty funny. <laughs> uh, not something I see this Batman doing, but... No, no of course not. <laughs> you know, maybe like late 90s, early 2000s uh, comic book Batman. Yeah, I can see that. Alfred comes in, lets Bruce know that the bat phone's ringing. Bruce excuses himself. Him and Alfred scurry off to the study where the bat poles are. And I felt real weird about him telling Alfred to hit the switch. Mm. It's something he usually does himself. So my thought is um, because, well, no, he doesn't know it's at Woodrow Roosevelt High School yet, right? Not yet. I don't believe I thought maybe like, He's so he's like he's like such in a rush. He's like I gotta get going, like because Robin's there. Like goes. Oh well, you know what? I guess he does know because Commissioner Gordon's on the phone in the study. Yeah. So yeah, Commissioner Gordon tells him what's up. Yeah. I just thought it was wild. I I mean, he does work for him. Hit the switch. Yeah. (laughs) It's like push your own damn switch. I mean, it's like right right there too. Yeah. I mean, he's born rich. What do you want from him? So, because it's just Bruce Wayne becoming Batman, mm-hmm. we get a different instead of the usual stock footage we get. Yeah, um, I, I, Bruce I, and Dick going down the bat poles. It's just Batman. Yeah, except when the Batmobile comes out of the Batcave and is like flying down the street. Yeah. Probably not so clear on 1960s television sets. I did notice. I was looking for I was like, I wonder if they're using the old stock footage. They sure are. Robin is in the passenger seat. I did notice like the stock footage for when it's um, in front of the Batmobiles in front of police headquarters. It's not them pulling up and then running in like they usually do. It's like after the fact. Yeah, yeah. It's like differently. Yeah. But it's like still people walking around looking at the Batmobile and stuff that we always get. Yeah. At least you get the thought to do that. Thank goodness. Yeah. And yeah, I'm sure no one could see. Like, oh. I had to pause it to, like, make sure I saw Robin. Yeah, I'm watching it on a uh, Blu-ray on, like, a infinitely larger television that was available, you know? Yeah. Commissioner Gordon is just like, ah, oh, the Joker, he was just released. He put... He bought this company, the One-Armed Bandit Novelty Company. I mean, a One-Armed Bandit is a name for a slot machine, so it's not inherently extremely criminally obvious, but... My yeah, thing is... just gets out and buys a company and it's fine. Yeah, right? and, and Penguin did the same thing. They all do it. Mad Hatter had some sort of Mad Hat factory. <laughs> it's just like, how are they just like... You know, Batman sitting here busting that, like, you know, putting small business owners out of business. <laughs> it is bizarre. 
I know we bring up the movie a lot, but it does remind me of like when they sold the submarine to PN Gwyn and then didn't think it was anything weird. Yeah, I mean, Batman was just yeah. like, uh, that's a little suspect. Oh, golly, Batman, do we do something wrong? And then he's like sarcastic with him. Yeah. Yeah. I do love that scene. I love, I, I love everything in that movie. But, <laughs> um, it, it is just funny that it keeps being a thing, like almost every plot is incited by something like that. Yeah, so weird. Just like a, a trope of the show that I didn't realize was a trope of the show. Yeah, we're not really like binging it or watching it back to back, but we are watching it as adults versus children. So it's like, yeah, you notice like a lot of these patterns are pretty consistent. Yeah. Batman, he he knows that the Joker is up to something. Yeah. And do they call the school principal or does the principal call them? The principal calls them. That's what I thought, yeah. Uh, he said that the vending machine in the library started dispensing stocks and bonds. Yeah, that's right. Batman has the principal call a student council meeting. He's like, yeah, who's the president of your student council? Oh, one Richard Grayson. Yeah. You know. Works out perfectly for the dynamic duo. I'm sure Batman knew that when he suggested the idea because he's going to have a briefing with those characters and of course, that means he's also briefing his crime-fighting partner at the same time. Yes. So the student council gathers, and before Batman arrives, they're talking ethics amongst each other. Everybody except for Dick is yeah. all about free money. Know, which they know, did. I, I like that they point out that like you're the ward of a millionaire. Exactly, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, and it is kind of funny that he goes to like public school. With like a city of like super criminals where he could easily be kidnapped and like held for ransom. Well, first off, he's Robin. Yeah. And but, people, but like people don't know that, you know what I mean? Yeah, people, but Bruce Wayne knows that. Yeah. I guess he can trust himself to not, but like, you know, the school school can be terrorized, obviously. This plot's got nothing to do with like Batman and Robin initially, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I like that the Joker's not out for revenge, you know? Yes. Like, like some of these villains sometimes are. Yeah, like Mr. Freeze. And or Mad Hatter. Hatter. Yeah. Which yeah. Not, those are fine every once in a while. I like that they mix it up. I mean, obviously, if he gets the opportunity to kill Batman and Robin, he's going to take it. For sure. Yeah. As we see yeah. from the end of the episode. Batman arrives at the school and... I thought this scene was awesome. We <laughs> were in high school. <laughs> Batman rolls up, and all the students come outside, and they're like, "Whoa, it's Batman! Holy yeah. crap, where's Robin?" Yeah, and he pulls out a bat megaphone, which is amazing. <laughs> Just trying to like disperse the crowd. Yeah, and he's like, "Everyone, stay calm. Robin's not with me. He's in school, like you should be." And they're like, "Oh my god, what schools he go to?" And he's like, "Obviously, I can't tell you that." But basically, he's like, yeah, don't touch the Batmobile because it'll kill you because of the anti-theft devices and stuff. But... Let me know if the Batmo Bat phone starts ringing. Yeah, he's like, I'm expecting a phone call, so if you could just let me know. Yeah. And he brings a mysterious box with him. Yes. We cut to a bar. Yeah, like a cocktail bar. I forget what they yeah. called it. 
They called it. They they, gave, they said something silly here. I don't remember what it was. But it, basically, a cocktail lounge. We get another oh, comical drunk actor, I guess. Yeah, they really love them. Yeah. I I mean, I love them too. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little wasted, and he moseys on over to the jukebox, and uh, pops a diamond. Go play some tunes. Yeah, except instead of tunes, the jukebox opens up and a gun (laughs) barrel. Big shotgun just kind of sits there. Yeah, and it moves back and forth a little bit on like motor. Yeah, it's like automated, and we hear the Joker's voice, and he says, "It's a stick up, you booze hounds." Yeah, he calls them booze hounds, which is funny. I I want to say this off the bat. I think the Joker was legitimately funny in these episodes. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that helped my entertainment value a lot. For sure. Like almost every joke he land, like makes like lands. And some of them are surprisingly dark for this series. Not like black humor. You know what I mean? But like comparatively compared to the rest of the series. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Two goons in like uh, stocking like stocking masks. Yeah, yeah, they roll in and rob the joint. Yeah, they just take the money out of the register and leave. Pretty quick robbery. Makes you wonder what the point of the jukebox part of it is if you're just gonna have dudes there anyway. That's kind of what I was thinking, but whatever. I'll go into my thoughts on this when we talk when we discuss the plan at the end. I think he has an interesting idea, but I don't think he's got great execution. Back at the school, Batman is meeting with the student council. And he's kind of giving him a lecture. Yeah. Like, hey, like, if you feed into these vending machines, you know, what's to stop you from dropping out of school? Well, I think the point of it is, is like, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You have to like earn what you do. And I wrote down my notes. It's like, funny hearing nothing in life is free from a trust fund, baby. (laughs) However, I will say like what Batman's saying is true. And like, if there's any rich person who I'll be like, all right, at least I think they're kind of decent. It's going to be this specific version of Bruce Wayne. Yes. Yeah. But also his concern is that as high school kids, they'll get accustomed to this life. Yeah. Drop out. And then once they enter the real world, where things don't operate like that. Yeah, yeah, they'll have no, they'll have no skills, skills or education to fall back on and turn to a life of crime. Yeah, yeah. Which is fair. So well, I do think it's like a worst case scenario, but but like I kind of we don't really ever touch on this again. Mm-hmm. But I personally think that is the interesting plot there. I agree. That's why I think it's an interesting idea that. Joker, because that's kind of what Joker wants to do, I guess. Yeah, like Joker's building tomorrow's crime generation. Empire. Yeah. I really appreciated how unfamiliar Batman and Dick Grayson were being. Yeah, uh, they were doing a good job. Because, like, I feel like we've had it in other episodes. I know we've had ones where it's Robin and Bruce Wayne. Yeah, I think that was the Zelda the Great episode. Yeah. Same writer. Um, but I think in that one, there was like, it was like a lot more like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Yeah. Like, it's really stupid that the other characters don't know 
that they are Batman and Robin. But like these kids would have had no experience being around Batman and Robin versus I think those other ones like it's like Commissioner Gordon and stuff. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you kind of know both of these, both sides of these characters. But yeah, um, they don't let on really at all that they know each other. And I appreciate that. Yeah. In Batman's box, he has like projector slides. And he's like, this is the Joker. And it's just a picture of him, like in front of like one of those like height things. Which one of those jokers like six feet, six foot six or whatever? Yeah. Did you? See? I, don't I don't know how accurate that is. I don't think Cesar Romero is that tall. I know like later, like the 80s in the comics, that becomes a thing where Joker's really tall and thin. But like at the time, I don't think that was established yet. Yeah. So damn tall. So he's saying all sorts. He's like, don't be fooled by his grin. He's yeah. like, He's really a bad man. He has the student council get really close to the screen. It's like, take a look at his flower. Sometimes it shoots this, that, and all of these things. And then it does it. Well, so, all right. So before that, he's like, oh, Joker's a master of disguise. He could be anyone. He'd be like in one uh, one of possibly 50 costumes at the moment. And so... Batman was being so suspicious, I feel like. Yeah. Do you think he thought the Joker was going to pop up? So what happens is the kids get real close to the screen to look at his flower and something sprays them in the face. Yeah. So the way Batman was talking, it's it was very obvious that something was going to happen to those kids. Yeah. He's like, get closer. Closer, closer. And I thought Batman was somehow going to be Joker in disguise. That would have been crazy. Because he was just like, he's a master of disguise. And then he's just acting really suspicious. I think there was a, in the Batman 66 comics, I think there was a story where Joker was Batman for a minute. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. I, I'm excited to get back around to this. I can't wait. I'm really excited to read it. Like yeah. reread it again. Uh, but yeah, Joker's just behind this screen. What it, whatever he sprayed him with was absolutely harmless. Yeah, just more to make an entrance. Yeah. Uh, Batman's like, he's trying to take him down and the Joker's like, I haven't done anything. Yeah, you have no proof, connect, or nothing tying me to that and like, they're like, we'll get you for loitering. Is like, I have to be there for like two minutes or whatever. Yeah, it's like, oh, I got to be here for longer than two minutes for it yeah. to be considered loitering. And Batman's like, you jailhouse lawyer. Yeah, because he knows you got him. He's so mad. Yeah. Uh, Joker gets away and uh, the crowd of kids let Batman know that the phone is ringing. Yeah, they like yell at him from outside. Do we get to whatever that call is, or do we just cut to the Joker's age? Yeah, the the commissioner called him, told him about the robbery that happened from the jukebox. Because yeah, because Joker when he leaves is like, remember you saw me here, and Batman realizes that like he's his alibi. Yeah, that's like, right. Alibi because it's me. Because we established early in the series, like 
he will take the witness stand and testify and stuff. And Batman doesn't lie in this world. Ah, that's so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that part was great. So yeah, the Joker kind of just has Batman on the ropes, like from the get-go. Yeah, uh, but after Batman takes that call, Robin brings him up his box of slides or whatever. He's like, Batman, you forgot these. So they're able to talk privately. He's like, uh, fake a headache. Uh, meet me in the Batcave. It's like he gets pulled out of school. Uh, and then he's like, I got to go investigate this thing. So we don't see him investigate the crime scene, but we do cut back to him after he's done at the Batcave. Yes. Uh, but before that, yeah. we cut to the Joker's HQ. Did you see this coming? Uh, I did not. I didn't either. I was like, oh, oh. Joker's working with a gang, the Bad Pennies. Mm-hmm. I kind of appreciate where's other Batman media. The Joker just has a gang of clowns waiting for him to get out of jail. Yeah. Arkham, wherever the hell he is. The super criminals in this show, it's like, oh, I got to find a new gang when I get out of town. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. And it also implies that like, there's just low level criminals just kind of about anyway. Yeah. It makes the world feel a little more full. I agree. They're all showing Joker all these new gadgets they're whipping up using like the novelty factories technology. Yeah, like they're making like pinball machines and they have uh, one of those like bowling things. You slide a disc that we, I've, I've played those games. Yeah. So that bowling thing, like yeah. that bowling gang, when you get a strike. When you it, get three strikes, it shoots out like knockout gas. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, like like you were saying, the Joker's like, oh, it's a gas. Yeah. Like, I, I, just, it's funny. Yeah, he's just yeah. making jokes. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, after he says that, he, like, shakes the hand of the bad penny goo who developed it. Yeah. And he has, like, a buzzer on his hand that, like, electrocutes him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, sorry, I forgot to warn you. Crime can be shocking. Yeah, it's great. I laughed out loud. I thought it was And, so he, and he had just done the buzzer gag to that one kid, the one like Poindexter kid in the last scene. And it's just like, all right, of course that's what happens. Like, <laughs> he does it again like two seconds later and it's funny. Uh, the final member of the Bad Penny shows up. The shiniest Bad Penny. Oh, yes. They call her that. Yeah. Susie. The head cheerleader who was on the student council. Yeah. Their, their person on the inside. Yeah, totally unexpected. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's a good twist. I thought and it it's, a, good it's a more organic way for them to have like a woman henchman that they always have. Yeah. Although it is creepy that they like, some of those dudes are like hitting on them. Like she's like 17. Oh yeah. Well, unfortunately, like much of the show relating to women, this is very dated. Yes. Oh, one more thing I wanted to, to note while we're in Joker's hideout is like Batman, like they, these people usually have a lot of uh, signs and stuff. I, pre- I saw that there was a no loafing sign because it's in a factory. And I thought that was really funny because do you remember like Homestar Runner and those cartoons on the internet? Not with any detail. But well, yeah. one of the things in Strong Bad's house is a no loafing sign on the wall. Oh, I thought that was pretty funny. I was like, oh, I wonder if they got that from this. Maybe. Yeah. 
Or maybe that was a regular thing in all factories. Maybe it was. I have no idea. I just it's just loafing seems like such a strange phrase. Truly. Yeah. Uh, Joker reveals that he has the answers to the pre-college exams. Yeah. And that is somehow going to play into his plan, his master plan. Yeah. Good for him, I guess. Speaking of pre-college exams, back in the Batcave, Robin is studying hard. You know, those exams are coming up. They're coming. Batman arrives and uh, the dynamic duo decide they're going to stake out the school. Well, yeah, Batman points out that, like, he finds absolutely no evidence that, like, would give them a lead or anything at the the bar. So he asks whether, like, well, how's Joker getting in and filling up the vending machines? That's why they have the idea to stake out the school. So they head to school and Susie is there. They don't see her yet, but she's messing with the machines. Yeah, she's the one that services them. Yeah. Which is why the Joker's not ever seen there. They can't link him to the scene. She sees that Batman and Robin show up and calls the Joker. The Joker tells her to use key 17. Yeah, from like her ring of keys, she has to service the machines, I guess. Now, I feel like it's never made clear what exactly that does. I guess it sets the next trap in motion. Yeah, I, I assume that that's, or at least that's what that's code for, is to set that to be the, the thing that happens. Yeah. So Batman and Robin, they get out of the Batmobile. Batman turns on the, a bat recorder and uh, sets the anti-theft theft systems to the Batmobile, mm-hmm. which I feel like is the first time they bring up those anti-theft systems and they don't go off. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that that's just a part of their world and how they have to operate. Me too. It doesn't always need to be a fireworks show. They run into the school and bump into Susie and she tells them she saw a strange person in the gym. Which, you know, we know is where the milk machine is. Now, why don't they think it's weird that she's there? Um, I mean, that's she's less weird than if a goon was there. But like, you know, she goes to that school. She's involved in student council. She's in cheerleader, which is an extracurricular activity. I can see them in the moment, not really thinking about it. I guess so. I, I'd still think it was a little weird. It is weird. There's like, it seems to be the middle of the night and the school's locked up. Yeah, and it's just her. Yeah. But I'm willing to give that the benefit of the doubt. Batman and Robin run to the gymnasium and they see one of the tampered machines. Batman drops a dime into it. That was his, that was his undoing. An arm pops out of the bottom and shackles Batman and Robin's legs. And then they get sprayed with sleeping gas and pass out. Standing up on each other. Yeah, it's kind of silly. Mm-hmm. I think I can describe most episodes of this show. They come to and they are in electric chairs, which I thought was pretty dark. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like that's a way. To like kill people in real life. Yeah, that the government kills people. Yeah, it's the officially sanctioned death. Senate system. Yeah, so weird. 
I don't think the dynamic duo know this, but we see that the electric chairs are in the trailer of a, a big freight truck. Yeah. Yeah, they don't know that yet. They wake up inside of it. And right next to them is a shot, you know. Yeah. Right next to them is a slot machine. In the cab of the freight truck, Susie and Joker use a voice disguising technology. Which I didn't pick up on their voice changing, but yeah, it's very obviously them. Yeah. But I guess in universe you have no idea. Yeah. They tell Batman and Robin that they're going to gamble for their lives. The slot machine has basically three different outcomes. If it lands on three Liberty Bells, Batman and Robin go free and win $50,000. Yeah. Which, which to Batman's part, nothing, yeah. 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 Part of me wants to see that happen. I kind of wish that that happened by accident. <laughs> Yeah, or just like, that's how the next episode, that's how they got out of the trap. Yeah. The second outcome is that it lands on three oranges. And in that case, they just, we just go free, no money. Which is fine. Yeah. The third outcome is we get three lemons, 50,000 volts of electricity running through their bodies. I forgot, they did set up uh, yeah, I guess we'll talk about it at the beginning of the next episode. We forgot to mention they did set up how they get out of this at the beginning of this episode. Yes, we did skip that because I didn't write it in my notes. <laughs> and I forgot about it just kind of just now. It's like, oh, yeah. This is the end of episode one death trap that we all have come to know and love. Exactly. What do you think is going to happen next time? I don't know. They got two lemons already and it's spinning for the third. Will they fry? I guess we'll find out next week. Same backcast time, same backcast channel. Until then, good night, everyone. Night.